I'm Alex Schwartz. I'm Nomi Fry. I'm Vincent Cunningham, and this is Critics at Large, a New Yorker podcast for the culturally curious. Each week, we're going to talk about a big idea that's showing up across the cultural landscape, and we'll trace it through all the mediums we love. Books, movies, television, music, art. And I always want to talk about celebrity gossip, too. Of course. We hope you'll join us for new episodes each Thursday. Follow Critics at Large today, wherever you get podcasts. This episode of Live Wire is brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now. You're driving or cleaning, even exercising. But what if you could be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average. And auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. Multitask right now. Quote today at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. Hey, it's Luke Burbank. Welcome to LiveWire. I'm hiding out in one of the back rooms here at Mississippi Studios here in Portland. We have an amazing show coming up for you. This is our first show at Mississippi Studios, and our theme is Here Goes Something, because we we aren't sure how everything will go. We know it's going to be entertaining, though. Modest Yahoo, the Hasidic reggae singer, is warming up right now and sound checking. We've also got Stephen Tobolowski from The Tobolowski Files and Groundhog Day and so many other amazing movies and TV shows. And we've got Major League umpire Dale Scott. He is about to head off to spring training, but not before he tells us about the ins and outs of Major League Baseball umpiring. It's all coming up in a minute. Here goes something, and it starts right now. From PRI Public Radio International, it's... Live Recorded in front of a live audience at Mississippi Studios in Portland, Oregon, it's LiveWire with actor and storyteller Stephen Tobolowski, Major League Baseball umpire Dale Scott, music from Modest Yahoo, and our fabulous house band. And now, the host of LiveWire, when it comes to flying by the seat of his pants, He's achieved diamond medallion status, Luke Burbank! Wow, thank you, announcer Jason Rouse. Thanks, everybody here at Mississippi Studios. Our theme this hour is Here Goes Something, because this is our first ever show here in historic Mississippi Studios in Portland, Oregon, we are so excited to be here. Everything okay in the front row? You're already getting emotional. It's going to be a long, long show for you, sir. We're barely started. This spot we're in, Mississippi Studios, used to be a church. It used to be called uh, Emmanuel Evangelical Baptist Church. And you can still kind of feel there's some church-type seats that are up in the second level of the theater. And it reminds me of my childhood because... I grew up going to church a minimum of three times a week. And it was a church that was probably similar to Emmanuel Evangelical. It was called Gospel Outreach Christian Fellowship. And it was a a very evangelical church that my dad was the pastor of. And it had some quirks to it. 
Uh, one of them was that no one would come to the church. There was tops, 30 members of the church, 25 of whom were my siblings. And every week we would pray and we would hope that more people would come to Gospel Outreach Christian Fellowship in Briar, Washington. And the thing about the kind of faith that I grew up in is you had to be ready for if the Lord brought new people to Gospel Outreach. So we would have to set up hundreds of chairs that nobody ever sat in and pour hundreds of tiny cups of grape juice for the communion that would go unconsumed until later when I would go on a total bender, standing in the back just doing shots of grape juice. Nothing seemed to work. My dad, who was the pastor, would do an altar call, and no one would come down because it was just us, and we were already very down with the Jesus. We're, there was no way we could go get more saved than we already were. So it was really an exciting day for us when finally some new person showed up at the church, and it was this kind of rough-looking guy named Johnny and his wife, and they had a couple of kids, and... Um, he had just gotten out of the penitentiary, we found out. But the family, their family roughly doubled the size of the church. So they were totally invited to stay. And they came for a few weeks, and my dad was doing the altar call. And Johnny came down to the altar call. And Johnny gets down on his knees, and he's raising his arms up to the Lord, I guess. And as he does this, his sleeves start to slide down. And we all realize that he has six or seven of the most graphic prison tattoos depicting <laughs> naked women doing unspeakable things. And I became a man that day. <laughs> because I was about eight years old and that was the most nudity I had ever seen in my life. And I was very disappointed after church when my dad went up and put his arm around Johnny and said, very kindly, uh, you're welcome here as long as you wear long sleeve shirts. <laughs> because for me, that meant the show was over. I don't know if that's going to happen here, this episode, in what used to be a church. I think probably not. I don't know how many prison tats there are here. I can promise you there will not be an altar call. We are going to try to put together an interesting public radio show, and I want to introduce you to the newly formed Livewire house band as well, Jonathan Newsom and Walker Spring. Hey, Luke. How's it going? So, uh, Jonathan, you have been in versions of the Live Wirehouse band for many years, but uh, this is a, a new thing. Just to have two of you, you've got all kinds of computer sounds and things you've recorded. You, the two of you, are going to make the sound of a thousand angels. I'm trying to keep it like churchy. Um, <laughs> Walker, you are in a, you're in a number of bands even currently that aren't the Live Wirehouse band. What is the worst named band that you have been in? I was once in a group in the early 2000s called Sucker MC Jive Turkeys. Soon that was like a classical outfit. What did you guys play? Kind of a new wave keyboard. We had a, our biggest hit was um, What's in the Fridge. <laughs> <laughs> what about you, Johnny? You've played in a million bands too. What's, what's the worst band name you've been in? Maybe the most unimaginative one was uh, the Newsome Family Singers because I too grew up with a pastor for a father. And we would tour around from the time I was maybe seven or eight years old and sing at various uh, brush arbors and, and uh, revivals. As really? As family singers and matching gingham. And uh, we would fit in a cover of Pipeline in the middle. Did you guys ever go to the Healing Explosion? But we'd been to several Healing Explosions. When I was a kid, we, this thing came through our church, this videotape series where you would watch it. 
for a few months and you would learn how to heal people and then you would go meet up at an arena in your local town and you would perform what was called a healing explosion which stressed me out so much as a kid because I was like I don't think this is going to work and it didn't well if we can't book a band I mean this week we have Modest Yahoo which is a big deal for us but if we need the Newsom family singers to fill in as our guest band can you get the band back together uh, see if mom and dad are still talking and we'll see what's happening this is Livewire Radio. This week's show is brought to you in part by Whole Foods Market, featuring high-quality meats that are free of antibiotics, added growth hormones, and animal byproducts in feed. More information is available at wholefoodsmarket.com. Let's get Stephen Tobolowski out here. Now, Stephen Tobolowski could have just gone down as that one guy you saw in all those movies and TV shows, uh, TV shows like Glee and Deadwood and, and movies like Memento and, of course, Groundhog Day. And that would have been a pretty cool career, but the thing is, Stephen Tobolowski's real life has rivaled anything that's happened to the made-up people that he's played. A lot of us found this out through his podcast and radio show, The Tobolowski Files. Please welcome Stephen Tobolowski. have so many stories. If I read right, you've been stabbed, you've broken your neck, you've been kicked out of restaurants on two continents because Ronald Reagan needed to eat there. That's right. That's are, right. Are you just a magnet for interesting stories, or are you just more aware when they're happening and you catalog them? Yeah, it, it, I, probably a little of both. I think what we think of as a story is when two points connect and make a straight line. So when my wife and I were thrown out of the restaurant in Washington, D.C., because Ronald Reagan was dining there. They said, excuse me, the president's coming in. So we left. Uh, a couple of years later, we went on a vacation to Helsinki, Finland, and we sat down to eat, and they said, could you please leave? Ronald Reagan is... I'm thinking, like, this guy has got it out for You're me. You're like, how much does this guy love Applebee's? <laughs> <laughs> Just wanted the fries. But, but you... You, you know, and also a lot of us are in the wrong place at the wrong time. Like, I've been I was held hostage at gunpoint. How many of you have been held hostage at gunpoint? Now, there we go. We Steven, have a few hands. We, well, I thought we agreed we wouldn't tell them how we got you to come be on the show. <laughs> that was supposed to be a trade secret. Wait, when were you held hostage? I, I was held hostage at a gunpoint in a grocery store in Dallas, Texas. And uh, the, the man came up to me and looked in my shopping cart. He was an older fellow, and he says, I see you have mangoes, the most exotic of fruits. And he began to cry, and I knew that's bad. I mean, I was 25 years old at the time, and I knew there were a thousand reasons that could bring me to tears in a day, but mangoes would never be one of them. But is there a more exotic fruit, no. in fairness to him? Probably not. He was right. Yeah, you got to give him that. I figured he was crazy, and I would just give him the mangoes, and he'd go away. So I bent down into the shopping cart, and I saw he had a forty-five on his hip behind him. And at that point, I knew, like, I was dead. I knew I was dead, and I stood up, and he saw, like, the soullessness in my eyes, I think. And he was crying, and he said, I don't know why I picked you today. And you don't want him to say that either. <laughs> That's bad. 
the mangoes is bad, but the I don't know. And he was crying, and he stuck the gun into my forehead, and, and I looked around, and the store was empty. I was so busy trying to pick out the mangoes, I missed the exodus when the crazy guy with the gun came in. And I was there with a the gun in my head for 45 minutes talking uh, my behind off, and I'm looking out the big window of the store, like in front, and in front of the window are like SWAT guys with the helmets and the jackets and the guns, like going underneath the window, <laughs> back and forth. I hear the helicopter coming down over the store. And then in the parking lot, I see the back of a newsman's head in front of <laughs> reporting live from the scene. He's there. And then the worst thing was... Uh, an ambulance pulled up, and the back doors opened up, and they pulled out a gurney and a body bag. I'm thinking, one's for him and one's for me. Uh, no, yeah, that was bad. That was Wasn't bad. it also weird when they said, we need you to leave the fruit department? Ronald Reagan is going <laughs> to shop in this grocery store right now, so please hit the road. What did you talk about with this man for 45 minutes as you were trying to save your own life? This, this is really ridiculous. Uh, the first thing, you, you, you can't figure out what comes to mind, but the first thing that came to my mind was Chad Everett. Uh, Chad Everett was a big star on Medical Center at the time, and I watched the show all the time, and I realized that there was a hostage situation on Medical Center, and, and uh, Chad Everett said on the show, always keep the gunman talking. Well, I didn't know how to do that. So I just kept talking, like, nonstop. And then I thought, wait a minute, a medical center... There are a lot of father-son situations where Chad Everett is the brash young doctor, James Daly, chief of surgery, and they got in fights all the time. And this guy was older than me, and I said, you know, you remind me of my father. He's a doctor, and I was never good enough or smart enough to be a doctor. And I said, Dad, Dad, please, why can't we look at each other as two grown-ups and just say, son, our lives are different? And, and I just kept talking and talking and talking for about 45 minutes until I was exhausted, and then... I realized I was running out of adrenaline and I had to get out of there and I couldn't think of any way to get around the gunman except to invite him over for dinner. So I said, I said, excuse me, at what time you got? And he has the gun in my head and he looks and he, he tells me, I, I go, like, oh, well, it's late. You know, I don't know about you, but I'm getting a lot out of this. Uh, I'm getting a lot off my chest about me and my dad. You doing anything later tonight? Maybe you want to come on over and have some chicken or mangoes and have a glass. You can meet my girlfriend. Uh, uh, give me a, I'll give you my address. He'd come over and in a scene that would never be in a movie because it was too weird, he handed me the ballpoint pen from his pocket. He's holding the gun on me, hands me the ballpoint pen on his pocket. I tear off some of the brown paper bag that the mangoes were in and took the pen and I was so scared and I was so tired for the life of me, I could not think of a phony address. So I wrote down my real address. There we go. Right now, there we are. Thank so you. Just, just follow me over. Oh, here's your pen. Don't want to keep that. Yeah. And I walked past him and I felt the gun go into the back of my head and then I had that Jesus moment where some something whispered in my ear and said, don't turn around, don't turn around, keep walking, don't turn around, don't turn around. And I kept walking. He says, when you get to the end of the aisle, you could run. If you get to the end of the aisle, you'll be free. 
but I didn't have to because in the 45 minutes of my blather, the SWAT team guys had come into the store and had their guns pointed at us through the food. And as soon as I got to the corner, the SWAT team guys came over and tied up my dinner guest. I had him bound and gagged. And what I did was I'm walking with my cart in the empty store and I go over to the checkout, empty checkout counter, and I wait. And a policeman comes up to me and pats me on the back and says, hey, pal, you could just go. You could probably take some free mangoes at that point, I think. Hold, hold, hold right there, Mr. Steven Tobolowski is with us on Livewire. Livewire is brought to you in part by Ergo Depot, who asks, did you ever wonder why your most brilliant ideas seem to surface while you're running or surfing or dancing? It's because your body was designed to move. And at Ergo Depot, they encourage that by creating amazing products like chairs, stools, and stand-up desks that encourage your body to do what it was meant to do. Visit them online at ergodepot.com to check out their full line, including the Jarvis stand-up desk. Welcome back to Livewire Radio from PRI. My name is Luke Burbank. We're coming to you from Mississippi Studios. We've got the wonderful Stephen Tobolowski here with us. Our theme this week is Here Goes Something. Man, I, I want to hear 20 more minutes about your survival <laughs> techniques for hostage situations. But I also want to ask you a little bit about your, your real career yeah. as, a, uh, as a movie and TV actor. You, you're very commonly described as that guy who's in everything, but... Can we talk about the character of Ned Needlenose Ryerson yeah. for a minute from the movie Groundhog Day? I just want to remind people, if they have forgotten, about one of the great characters in cinematic history, as far as I'm concerned, who Bill Murray runs into every day of his life while he's trapped in this recurring day. Listen to this. Ned! Ryerson! Needlenose Ned, Ned the head. Come on, buddy. Case Western High. Ned Ryerson, I did the whistling belly button trick at the high school talent show. Bing! Ned Ryerson got the shingles real bad senior year, almost didn't graduate. Bing! Again! Ned Ryerson, I dated your sister Mary Pat a couple times till you told me not to anymore. Well? Ned Ryerson? Bing! Bing! Did you audition for that role? I, I auditioned for that role. I was doing another movie at the time called Calendar Girl, and I was playing a gangster, and my brother was a deaf-mute gangster played by Kurt Fuller. And for the only time in my career, the producers ran out of space uh, and put Kurt and I in the same room on location. So we were like kids uh, at summer camp. Well, I got this audition for Groundhog Day. I drove the two and a half hours from the set, auditioned for Harold Ramis, came back. On the way back, I heard I was going to get a call back. That night in bed, in the two beds, Kurt asked me, he says, oh, you got anything happening, anything coming up? Well, I know from my experience as an actor that no other actor wants to hear that you had an audition. The only thing that can make an actor happy is for you to tell them that you're actually leaving the business and opening a sandwich shop somewhere. So I said, Kurt, no, nothing, nothing happening, nothing happening for me. It's just knocking on doors. I said, how about you? He says, well, it's interesting. Uh, I'm actually going to be in Bill Murray's new movie, Groundhog Day. Harold Ramis is a friend of mine. 
and he wrote this great part, Ned Ryerson for me. And uh, I, I've already, we've already started rehearsing with the group, and I'm leaving for Chicago in, uh, you know, at about a week, and we're going to start shooting. My head started to explode. I, I knew this was going to be a tragic tale somehow or another for someone. So I go to the callback with Harold Ramis. I audition uh, for the part, and here on the way back that I got the part. And Kurt found out I got the part. And he was so angry and so betrayed, as he should have been. And we don't know what, what happened. I ended up playing the part, of course, and when the show opened in Los Angeles, standing there at the opening was Kurt Fuller. And he said, I'm going to watch the movie with you. And he came in and watched the movie, and at the end of it he said, well, you got my part, but you did a good job. Congratulations. And he shook my hand and hugged me. And in my life, I've always thought if I ever had the courage or class of Kurt Fuller, it was always something to aspire to. Wow. Wow. Do you think you did a better job than he would have? Damn right. <laughs> Stephen Tobolowski, ladies and gentlemen. This week's show is brought to you in part by Alaska Airlines with 38 nonstops from Portland and this winter adding Austin, Texas, where Livewire airs on KUTFM. Go from chilly and rainy to chili reinos. <laughs> Bing. In just a couple of hours, Alaska Airlines keeping you connected nonstop. More information at alaskaair.com. We are coming to you from the historic Mississippi studios in Portland, Oregon. It's our debut show here. Our theme is Here Goes Something. And uh, if you look outside, winter still has its grip on much of the country. But if you look really closely, you can start to see a few green shoots and little blossoms starting to try to poke out here and there. For me, though, spring has not officially sprung until two things happen. I smell someone mowing a lawn, and I listen to spring training baseball on the AM radio because I am 100 years old and I listen to the AM radio still. Our next guest is actually getting ready to head off and be part of spring training as a Major League Baseball umpire. He's called World Series, controversial plays. He's even had dirt thrown at him from legendary manager Billy Martin. Please welcome Major League umpire Dale Scott to Livewire. That is so weird. I never get cheered when my name is called. It's yeah. Very nervous. Everything's yeah. fine. That's just what happens when you're on a public radio show as opposed to calling balls and strikes in a Major League Baseball game. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Why, why did the legendary manager, Billy Martin, throw dirt at you? Well, because uh, he was trying to kick it on me and it was too wet and he couldn't get any, so he picked it up and threw it on me. So I was the last umpire to ever uh, eject Billy Martin. Well... What are you guys actually saying to each other when you're out there and the manager is yelling and you guys are like right in each other's face and it's like, it's like two like chickens are mad at each other? What are you guys actually talking about? Uh, you'd be surprised. I, I mean, they're, 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 sometimes they're just protecting their player. Uh, sometimes they are, uh, it's a situational thing. I, 
I have a, a call in the, in the bottom of the first inning in a, in a you know, no-score game and, and nobody flinches. I have that same call in the ninth inning with the runner tying run at third base. All of a sudden, ooh, it's a big deal. Um, it's the same exact call. You know, so, so sometimes it's situational. Um, but uh, sometimes, every, every once in a while, it's rare, but every once in a while, it's, uh, it's just to fire up the team. So they're not even really mad at you. They're just Most doing... of the time they are. <laughs> Most of the time they're, they're, they're a little disgusted about something. But um, uh, every once in a while, I had, uh, I had uh, Terry Collins, the Mets manager now, but he, he was with the Angels then. Uh, they were up at home against Toronto like 10 to nothing after three innings. And I was the second base umpire. And about the seventh inning, it's now 10 to nine. So Toronto has come back and after this big lead. And I had a call out in the outfield, to be honest with you, I don't remember what it was, it was a spectator interference, I believe, and, and the Angels wanted a home run, and, and, and I had spectator interference. And uh, so here comes Terry running out, and, I, and I'm ready, ready for a you know, pretty good argument. And I go, as he's approaching me, I said, Terry, the, the fan reached below, and it's, it's spectator interference. He goes, I don't care. He goes, it doesn't matter to me. He goes, these guys suck. He said, we, we had a 10 nothing lead, and now it's 10-9, to and, and, and you're going to have to do something about it. You're going to you're gonna have to throw me out. And, I, and now, I can't laugh <laughs> because the cameras are on. So I, But I, he's doing this. He's, like, yelling this at it you? It looks like he is chewing me a new one. Okay, I mean, you know, he's flaying his arms and stuff. I mean, so it looks like, you know, and so he's, you know, firing up and all the fans are, are and I'm, I'm going, <laughs> you know. So, so I said, you want me to throw you out? He goes, yeah. I said, well, you're going to do something? He goes, oh, I'll do something. And he took his hat and threw his hat about 20 yards. I said, okay, all right, you're ejected. And he goes, you know what? You know what? I'm going to leave. I'm going to leave. And you know what? You know what? I'm going to leave because I'm so sick of seeing this baseball. And you know what's awful? What's really terrible, Dale? And I go, what's that? He goes, you have to stay and watch it. Boom. <laughs> True story. <laughs> I wish to God that would have been mic'd up. I mean, that is... I mean, that would actually be difficult for the human brain to look that angry while you're having such a essentially normal conversation. Well, well and, you know, and, and, and friends would, would see it on SportsCenter or something. They'd go, man, he got a hold of you, didn't he? I go, you have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> hey, one of the things... We're talking to Dale Scott, Major League Baseball umpire, who's been nice enough to stop by before he heads off for spring training which just sounds like a grind down there in Arizona or Florida or wherever you go. Uh, Arizona, yes. Spring training is actually fun because it's... Yeah, uh, that, when I said grind, I meant it yeah, sarcastic. Yeah, yeah, of course, yeah. Did you look outside today? I kayaked here, <laughs> sir. We're um, really, I'm really good with rain situations, by the way. <laughs> yeah, I bet. <laughs> I learned you're, that from you're from Because you're from uh, Eugene, right? Exactly, yes. Yeah, so you're very comfortable in that element. Um, uh, one of the things that's been introduced to Major League Baseball now is instant replay. Yeah. Uh, how do you guys feel about that? Um, you know, going into it, we weren't, we we really just weren't sure how it was gonna how it was gonna play out. But actually, um, uh, we like it. Uh, and and the the reason we like it is when when I used to uh, you know miss a call. <laughs> uh, you never be, missed a be, call. Well, did you? people say uh, you know a, a bad call, and I say it's a misunderstood call. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's just. Yes, soften it a little bit, but uh, you know, you you would have a call and, and uh, you know, out safe, whatever. It, it, the replay shows it the other way, and you would see it every twenty minutes that night on on, on Sports Center and or whatever. Over and over, it's like oh, man. now I, if I miss a call, we go to replay, we uh, we reverse it, and uh, we move on. And a lot of times they don't even mention it. Uh, you know, we don't, we don't have these arguments for that. The only arguments we have now are, are, are pitches, usually, are uh, check swings, things that we can't go to replay on, basically. 
Um, but do you have to buy a round for the other umps after? Well, if you force instant replay, thereby keeping everybody there longer? Well, no. Actually, it's not really longer because if you didn't have replay, you'd have the argument. <laughs> so, you know, right. so they'd be out there and, and doing the theatrics like uh, Terry Collins did. Um, uh, and and, and when, when you see uh, the umpires go on the headphones on the field, they're talking to umpires also in, in, in uh, Chelsea in New York where the uh, replay center is because we rotate through there during the season where we're the replay umpires for, for a, a week. So you know, trying to keep the thing cr- with, uh, credible with the, with the replay system and, and trying to keep up with technology basically because uh, we cannot keep up with technology. Super slow-mo, high-definition televisions. Right. And so, uh, it's incredible how, how much of the time you guys are right considering that it's such a bang-bang thing. Do you do some kind of like, uh, I don't know, Karate Kid or Luke Skywalker training in the Dagobah system, eye-hand coordination. How do you get your brain and eyes to be able to see those bang-bang plays? Well, way before I started in baseball, but I, I heard when, when, when uh, technology in the, like the, the 60s or whatever, when slow motion, slow motion started, we were, they, they were going to slow motion, and umpires were worried to death that all this new technology of slow motion, you know, it's going to kill us. And what it actually did is showed how right they were most of the time instead of wrong, um, which was <laughs> a nice benefit. But, but now, like I was saying about technology now, it's, I mean, you, you watch games now, the, the, the pitch track. Uh, right, the little know. thing, for folks that don't watch baseball, there's now a little square where the strike zone should be that shows where every single pitch went. It's basically like a computer is just standing behind you while you do your job. <laughs> right. Hitting right. a baseball bat softly against their hand. <laughs> it's, it would be very intimidating to me if I was an ump. Well, the, you know, it, it is what it is. The thing is, is remember the, the, the plate is always the same width, but the hitters have different heights. And watch that pitch track system. The height never seems to change. It always seems about the same. So I don't know how accurate it is, but you know what? Perception's reality. People see that. If it's in the box, that's a strike. If it's not, it, it's not. And, and uh, you know, luckily... During the game, we're not seeing that. We see that. It's all after. You go home and cry in well, the Holiday Inn when been, you watch the replay there's of the been, game. There's been crying happening, yes. Um, we're talking to Dale Scott, Major League Baseball umpire from here in the Oregon area. A, a reason that some people maybe heard your name, aside from your work in Major League Baseball, is that it, it came to light that you are a gay man, and that was the first <laughs> yes, time yeah. an MLB umpire, currently MLB right. umpire, had yeah. been publicly... Talk yeah, about as a gay um, man. How did that go? Because I've been around Major League Baseball players. I would not describe them as a highly enlightened bunch. Well, that is true. Um, but this was uh, December, about 14 months ago. And, and uh, the thing is, is that the other umpires that I worked with, they all knew. The, the, the uh, people I worked for at Major League Baseball, they all knew. So this was not a big bombshell for, for all of them. But it was for the media and, and just in general and just in general because of sports and uh you know uh, kind of machismo culture and y- stuff like right, that. right right and 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 um so it was it was a big deal it was it was a big deal for about a day and a half in the news cycle and then every single oh, who cares whatever but i mean i'm talking about the players actually the folks you interact with were they it was been... business as usual when I, when I went back to uh the season last year uh in in spring training in march and then in, in april I, for, through the course of last season, um, I had a total of three players say something to me. All three congratulated me. I had one trainer. I had um, uh, one ball boy. 
<laughs> who actually came out this past winter. <laughs> oh, I see. Okay. But, 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 but what is that conversation like? A guy goes up, he's got a big wad of chew in his mouth, he's looking at the picture, and he goes, Congratulations on finding love with your husband. And he just keeps hitting. Like, how do they congratulate you? It was, it was odd. You know, you, you see these guys all the time. This, like you had mentioned, I, this coming season is my 31st year. So, I, you know, they, yeah. I've been around, okay? And, right. uh, and you're still uh, alive, which and is I'm really st- saying something. Still alive. Um, and, and so, you know, the vast majority of the players, quite frankly, they just want you to get player uh, pitches and plays right. That's, that's all they want. And yeah. they really could care less one way or the other. I have to say, the whole experience for me has been nothing but positive. It's been, uh, it's been unbelievable. I was uh, sent... Uh, uh, thank you. I, I had uh, over, over uh, uh, 200 emails, many of them from heterosexual people saying, we are really happy that our children are going to grow up in a, in a world that someday this is not going to matter. It's, yeah. it, it doesn't mean anything. Uh, there were there were some um, uh, uh, policemen, uh, soccer officials, football officials, uh, you know, in the college ranks or high school ranks that uh, that were gay that that, that weren't out and, and said, you know, you, you you gave me some courage to maybe make that next step or whatever. And it's a very you know coming out is a very personal thing. I'm not going to say every, you know everyone has to make that decision individually. Um, but it was a very positive thing for me, and I'm very happy that I that I did it. You know? Right? Were you were you a bit nervous going in? I mean, it was. Oh yeah. You you you'd, you'd been umping for almost like 30 years, and you hadn't uh, talked about it. the way that you talked about it. If I remember, was it was pretty subtle, right? It was just an interview with you, and it yeah, was it kind well, of in passing. They did a they did a, a story about my career in Referee Magazine. I'm sure everyone has a. Copy. Oh yeah. Um, and uh, I can't get it. My neighbor steals it off <laughs> yeah, my front well, porch. It's tough. Uh, which has is uh, you know subscription only is like forty thousand uh, people or whatever, so it, not a huge publication. But um, uh, after the, and the story had nothing to do about my personal life; it was about my career and everything. And, and uh, they asked for a couple of pictures to put for the story. And I and I thought you know they had they had interviewed for this story uh, uh, you know people from high school, but the guy that got me started in umpiring when I was fifteen. Uh, uh, I used to be a radio disc jockey, a, a program director, all these people. And I thought, it, you know, I've been with uh, Mike, my, uh, my now husband, my partner at the time, for 27 years. I thought, you know, maybe he should be <laughs> at least, uh, you know, mentioned in this thing. I told him, I said, Mike, I want to send this picture of you, you and I on a, a flight to Australia for the, for the opener of the, the, the uh, MLB opener a couple years ago. I said, I want to put, send this with the pictures with, you know, longtime companion. And, 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 you know, this could open a real can of worms here. But, uh, you know, I, and he said... I said, I won't do it if you, if you don't want me to. It, goes, it doesn't matter to me. You're the one that's got <laughs> yeah. to deal with it. You know? And, and uh, so I did that, and nobody picked it up. Nobody, nobody believe, picked it up. I can't believe they didn't like, run into the New York Times. Have you seen <laughs> Referee, Referee Magazine? Magazine? <laughs> Stop the presses. We don't have presses? Build some presses. <laughs> Stop them. One person uh, contacted Outsports.com, a website, they're the ones that did the story. They they dropped the story uh, on their website last uh, or December second of, uh, and, and that's that's that was it. But you're happy that this is now public information and that it's something that you don't have to think about. Oh, who have I talked to about this or who knows what? About right. This? I mean, I you know I had to play the game at times. Um, not so much later on in my career because, like I said, the guys I worked with knew and all that kind of stuff. But you know, it's it's just it's it's it's. Uh, it's a relief. It's a freedom. Yeah. I don't have to do that anymore. It's, and, and someday, none of us will have to do that. Yeah. yeah. We all look forward to that day, I think. 
Thank you. This is Dale Scott, ladies and gentlemen, Major League Umpire, right here on Livewire. Um, Dale, it's very rare that we have a Major League Umpire on this show. In fact, it's never happened before, probably never will again. But we wanted to take advantage of your expertise. We wanted you to help us out with a little segment we're calling Dale Scott, Major League Umpire. Is it... We spent a lot of money on that musical intro. Fair or foul, Dale Scott, you are an umpire. We want to ask you some questions about the nitty-gritty of the game because this is something you spent your life studying and you know more about it than we do. So here we go. Uh, and you're, you just let us know if this is fair or foul. Okay, the batter hits a ball down the first baseline. It is right on the line, but then it hits first base and bounces up and goes into foul territory. Is that fair or foul? Yeah, it would be a fair ball. Fair ball. Fair ball. Okay. How about the batter hits a line drive down the third base line, it hits the third base coach, but then it bounces into fair territory? That's foul. That's foul? That's foul. Okay. Uh, how about uh, my wife leaves the house and her laptop is open, <laughs> and it's logged into her email, and I, you know, I kind of look at it because I want to figure out which one of her friends secretly hate me, um, hypothetically. Fair or foul? Well, I probably foul, but we may have to go to replay on that one. Okay. Um, while brushing my teeth, I accidentally knock my wife's toothbrush into the toilet, hypothetically. I grab it quickly. I wash it off. I pretend like it never happened, hypothetically, and maybe I don't tell her. Fair or foul? That's extremely foul. Okay. All right. Last one for you. Fair or foul? Uh, the, it's a full count. The batter hits a long fly ball that is actually heading foul, but then the outfielder and one of those overzealous fans kind of reach out. They collide at exactly the same moment. Their gloves both hit the ball at the same time. The ball bounces into the stands where it lands in my lap. Not really in my lap, but in the mitt of a guy who's right next to me. And I tackle him and take the ball away, which my wife says is inappropriate. But I explain to her that the guy need And did I say guy? I meant nine-year-old girl. Needed to learn... <laughs> that the world is tough and it's eat or be eaten and you've got to protect your own souvenir. Fair or foul? You'd be amazed how often this happens. Um, <laughs> that's foul, dude. Ah. <laughs> Dang it. All right. Well, thank you for your expertise. Dale Scott, ladies thank and gentlemen, you. fair thank or foul? You're listening to Live Wire. Join us next week for our show right here at Mississippi Studios, featuring from This American Life in the movie The Incredibles, Sarah Vowell, who has a new book out, also author Chris Offit, plus Live Wire, Lovebirds, Jed and Katie. These are two people that live right here in Portland who we brought on the show about a year ago. We forced them to have a date backstage during our show and ask each other these lovey-dovey questions. They fell in love. They live together. That's the power of this radio show, you guys. So Jed and Katie will also be on the show next week. Our musical guest this hour spent some very formative years not far from here in Bend, Oregon, where he attended a wilderness high school. Back then he was known as Matt the Jewish Rapper Kid from New York. Eventually, he headed back to New York and got into reggae, got really into Judaism, and emerged as a seemingly unlikely worldwide music star. He sold millions of records, has millions of Twitter followers, 
and might be the leading reason Gentile teenagers Google the word yamaka. He's here to play some music for us. Please welcome Matis Yahoo to Livewire. While I simmer in the sun Tell my lady I'll be with her When the summer's come and going While the moon on the rise I'm tired, you are the one Sing the song of creation Anthem for the young In my next life Could I take another turn? Hey. The life I know why Dove cries, stars shine As I fly through the night My sight sit on the next bed My life is not set yet I got no regrets Cause to get where I'm going Take another turn Burn another day Move like a prince Slay the dragons in my way Be dancing in the wilderness Till my dying day Dancing on the grave of the brave I am slayed in my next life Could I take another turn?
right here on Livewire. Thank you. When you when you're performing a song like that, do you guys know where it's going to start and where it's going to end? But things in between are improvised in some way. Yeah, we we use the song as like a jump off point. So we do like the verse, chorus, verse, chorus, and then once we hit then sort of third section, we just open it up and see where it'll go from there. This is Livewire Radio. Just hold that thought. We're going to take a short, short break, and then we'll be back with more. It's Livewire from PRI. Hey there, it's Luke. You might already know this, but in case you didn't, Livewire is actually a nonprofit. That's right. We rely on the generosity of you, our listeners, to keep this little radio show going. Consider becoming a member of our League of Extraordinary Listeners and support this show, which connects you to the artists, music, and comedy that we know you love. You can find out more by visiting livewireradio.org. Welcome back to Livewire. I'm Luke Burbank, your host. Hey, before the break, we heard a song from Matis Yahoo, and after that, we sat down and chatted with him. Here's what that sounded like. Uh, what is the key to beatboxing? Well, there's three three basic sounds. Three like three like the drums. There's the big one, the kick drum. Okay. That's. Okay. That was really one of the whitest things I've ever done. Okay. And then there's the there's the hi hat, which is a that you got, and then the the snare drum, which is, and then you put it together simple like. I'm I'm doing it backwards somehow. I don't even know how that's possible. It sounds good when you do it though. And then you do. Wow. I have to show off a little bit. Yeah. I would too if I could do it like that. How old were you when you learned how to do that? I was in high school, I think. Was that out here or was that back here? I was in New York, yeah. I read that you came out here to go to this wilderness high school because you were getting in some trouble. Yeah, I had dropped out of high school and gone on fish tour. Now, he wasn't a commercial fisherman. He was following the band Fish. Yeah. Right. All right, so you go, you're following Fish, you drop out of school, you're getting in a certain amount of trouble. A little bit. And I came home, tried to reintegrate into school, had a hard time completing sentences. And so, you know, I was looking for something to do. And my mom knew I loved the wilderness. I loved being out. I'd done like an outward bound type of thing when I was 16 that summer. So she's like, oh, why don't you go out to this uh, outward bound type thing? And then we get out there, and, you know, and they strip you of your clothes, and you're not allowed to speak. So I was like, oh, this is a little different than what I had in mind, but all right, I'm out here, so I'll make the best of it. And um, it was a great experience, you know, being out in the wilderness and out in eastern Oregon, and, and then I ended up staying in Bend. So, Did any part of that it, it propel you in the direction of looking into having a religious life? Certainly, I mean, I think the whole the whole process for me, starting from the time I was probably around 14, 15, 16 is when I started thinking about spirituality and identity and being Jewish and what that meant and music and how it all fit together. And um, certainly being out there was an important part of that. What do you think the biggest misconception is about you at this point? I don't know. I don't know. It's Tell not me, that, please. It's not that you can't beatbox. It. <laughs> let's hear from the audience. Actually, let's do that. We have somebody we in the front row who I know is a huge fan named Ari who wants to ask you a question. Whoa. Uh, 
Hey, Ari. Hey, man. Hey, Matsuzi Yahoo. So does your past religious, religious experiences inform some of the things you're doing on the new album? Certainly, um, like, the Judaism for me, you know, it's a, I don't really see it as at this stage or at this point as being so much about it being religious or not really religious or which rules I follow on which day. It's more like a, a lifetime type of thing. And uh, the, all the time that I spent studying and just living in, in, the, in Crown Heights and the lifestyle and being so immersed in that, it, uh, it developed like a core part of who I am. Uh, so it, it, it's with me you know, forever for life. And um, definitely the music has been inspired by so much from, from the Torah. And there's so many different places to look in there. So, yeah. Well, it's official. The audience is better at asking questions than I am. <laughs> <laughs> thanks, <it> Ari. <laughs> and thanks, Modest Yahoo. <laughs> hey, if you like what you're listening to, and we do mean probably Ari's question. You could subscribe to our podcast. We'll keep you company during life's mundane tasks. Carpooling, going to the gym. We'll even hang out with you while you clean your bathroom. You can head over to iTunes, Stitcher, or anywhere else you get your podcast to find us. All right, we are at the end of the show, which seems like an appropriate time to try to find out from the audience here at Mississippi Studios, what did we learn? I was going to ask this person, but it's Stephen Tobolowski. <laughs> Seems like he's had his moment. Ma'am, what is your name? Amy. Amy, where are you from? Buffalo, New York. Um, I used to be a softball pitcher, and I used to hate when they stood behind me and would make, I thought, bad calls. <laughs> but I have to say, I think he's a good man. So he <laughs> rehabilitated your entire relationship with the umpiring profession. That's amazing. All right, let's tell you who helped make this show possible. First of all, our awesome guests, Stephen Tobolowski, Dale Scott, and Modest Yahoo. This show was also made possible in part by our sponsors, New Belgium Brewing Company, Whole Foods Market, Ergo Depot, and Alaska Airlines. Hotel accommodations generously provided by Provenance Hotels. Special shout-out this show to Shift Vacation Rentals. Robin Tenenbaum is the executive producer and co-creator of Livewire. Jim Brunberg is a producer and editor. Laura Haddon is our producer. Jason Rouse is our announcer and a writer on the show. We also got help this show from Steve Newman in the writing department. Our house band is Jonathan Newsom and Walker Spring. How about those two? Molly Pettit is our technical director. House sound by D. Neil Blake. Thanks to Revival Drum Shop. Elia Unverzat is our talent wrangler. Our development director is Kim Bergstrom. Our operation manager is Lauren Masterson. Additional funding provided by the Meyer Memorial Trust and James F. Mayor, James F. and Marion L. Miller Foundation. That's the one. For more information about our show or becoming a member of Livewire, visit livewireradio.org. Download our podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or SoundCloud. I'm Luke Burbank. That's our show. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week. PRI, Public Radio International. Wouldn't it be amazing to have a piping hot episode of Livewire delivered right to your heart and ears each week? 
Well, guess what? That can happen when you subscribe to the Livewire podcast feed and you'll get the joy of surprising conversation every week. So go ahead and do it. It's super easy. You click on the button at the top of your podcast app and bam, you are Livewire subscribed. And if you're still, you know, feeling the love, if you're enjoying the show, hey, maybe you could hook us up and uh, leave us a quick review. That'll help more people find out about Livewire. And thank you.